hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. And here we go. Line ball to start this game. Jeremy Loblotsky and John Morassi teeing off on one another. Toporowski is just pounding away at Robinson. These, we said Toporowski, this is the guy who set a Western Hockey League record for 505 penalty minutes. Let's call it like it is. Toporowski's a boon. Getting closer. He reaches in a right back. He's out. Dad Griffin. He's just fought. Stu Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Scott Parker for the KO of Stu Griffin. This is one of the best hockey fights we have seen in a long time. Vinnabush tells the linesman, get the heck out of my kitchen. All right, Victor. He absolutely decked Jim Crate with a wild right. A sheer stagger by a big left hand. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode number 58 of the Five for Fighting podcast. My name is Alec, your host, and this is the show where we focus on the players who drop the gloves and, of course, the fans who enjoyed watching them do it. Uh, got a couple different topics here today. Nothing crazy for those tuning into the live show here on the Enforcer Appreciation Group. I, I appreciate it. Uh, right now, we got a whopping three people, so it's, it's pretty fucking lit as it usually is. Um, <laughs> no, I kid, but... Um, so we got some various topics here for those who listen to the previous episode. I thank you. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to go back and check out the back catalog I have on the show. Um, so the big three topics I think we'll talk about today, and of course, shit will come up as, as it always does when the group, when uh, you know topics start flowing and people start thinking of stuff, just asking bullshit. It's always a good time. But the the main thing is suspension's not working, and that's more so geared for PK Subban, who of course picked up his third. Well, it's, again, it's not a suspension, but fines and suspensions, I guess. Um, I should have worded that a little bit better, but picking up his uh, his third fine in, I think, three weeks. I think he's averaged a, a fine or a, a meeting with player safety per week, all three for the same exact thing, um, which is slew footing. Uh, Steve over at the hockey um, – or excuse me, not hockey – since John's here, I'm thinking of the Hockey Fight League. Um, uh, no, so Steve over at WhenProbertWasKing.com had a couple questions. A couple of them I'm going to have to do some research for, but he did ask uh, two pretty good ones I think I could cover off the top of the... Uh, yeah, exactly. PK Slewban there, Brian. Um, oh, and Sierra, thank you so much, my beautiful wife, for tuning into every single episode. Um, but no, the others being that the um, fighting over the years, kind of how it's changed a little bit. I did a deep dive into it, but it's always fun to revisit it. And it's actually very interesting when you actually look at the history of fighting in hockey and how the role itself changed overall. Um, and like I said, the PK Subban uh, slew footing and suspensions not working or fines. And then the other being um, fights that have turned the tides in games. And uh, there's a few, but one really sticks out to me. I guess that's in recent memory. I feel like some of times um, it doesn't always work as we know, but I, I actually, I can think of two off the, off the hop here. Um, but we'll, we'll get right into it here in a second. I just want to give a quick shout out as always off the top to 
Darren over at the Fourth Line Voice, the original Enforcer podcast, for um, always supporting the show. He's got a good YouTube channel, and congrats, buddy. You finally sold the condo, so now none of us have to hear about his condo woes anymore inside of uh, the intro to all his episodes. So shout out to Darren for selling the condo. I bet he, I, he probably put up the Mel Anglestad poster. I was telling him to fucking do it for weeks now, and I bet that's what it was. That's That was the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back to get the buyer to uh, commit there is the Mel Anglestad poster. And then the other podcast, of course, Joe over the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, who covers exclusively Islanders, tough guys, and enforcers, whether they were in their farm club, um, in the AHL, IHL, or ECHL, he has a bunch of them on. Both guys have tremendous back catalog, so I encourage you to go check those out. Darren with John Rasty, Steve McIntyre, those two heavy hitters right off the rip there. Um, Joe with uh, Brian Curran. Kerry Clark, Mike McWilliam. He had like, it was like a five-part saga with uh, Trevor Gillies. Um, working on, he's over here fucking giving Star Wars a run for its money. So definitely go check both those guys out. I, I highly encourage it. So, um, but we'll, we'll hop right into it here. We got nothing else to do. I got got a cooler full of beer and Darren. I you know what's funny? I got Bush Apple here, as you can see. I went to go get regular Bush, as we all know. I'm a I'm a Bush drinker, and everybody gives me shit for it. And I almost get Bush Apple out of spite now, just for Darren. And yeah, um, I went to go get you know, like a little twelve pack, and I, I went there, and sure as shit, at at the grocery store, I haven't seen it for weeks actually. And there's a twenty four pack of Bush Apple, so I was like, fuck, that'll be my last apple harvest of the season. So um, that's uh, that's why we got some Bush Apple, and I know it'll it'll get Darren's feathers ruffled. So I always. I told him I almost get it out of spite just because of him now. So, um, yeah, crack it, crack some beers or whiskey, whatever you got, rum, vodka, don't matter. Just start getting the uh, get the liquor flowing, Rand, and uh, we'll, do, we'll we'll dive into it here. But uh, so we'll start off here with PK Subban, and as it's uh, exactly Brian, the white whale of the bush apple, exactly. Um, so we'll dive into it with PK Subban here. Um, so PK Subban over the years as as. He, as great of a player as he is, I, I don't think he answers the bell at all when he's called upon. And he's at it again this year, coming out the gate hot with three slew foots off the rip. I can't remember who the last one was against, and I apologize. Um, I'm sure somebody in the chat can correct me on that, uh, or at least put a name to who he slew footed. But the first two were against two, two of like probably the tough. I'd, I'd honestly say these two are probably the toughest guys in the league, and that's of course Ryan Reeves and the old dog uh, Milan Lucic. He committed the slew foot on both those, and he got fined for both of them. And uh, the third one he also got a fine for, which I just think he just put up, man, I think it was like 15K for his last one. So the last one was a hefty fine. I can't believe he hasn't been suspended, um, especially on the third one. You'd think that would work, but once again, here we are. So what that brings me to the case here. You might be saying, Alec, what are you doing? You're talking about modern hockey. I know this, but this is all part of the the grand scheme of things here. And come under the learning tree, learning tree everyone. Um so basically, as it's been said multiple times in the past, I've said it, former enforcers have said it, you can listen to them say it on my pod, Darren's or Joe's, doesn't matter, you can hear them all say it, no matter how many times you suspend a guy and you find them, at the end of the day, they're going to they're gonna do the shit again until they actually get fucking punched in the mouth and actually have to own up for it. It's going to keep happening, and I'm sorry, it just is. That's just the way it goes. Because it's if there's no retribution besides, oh, here's a you know 15k on my million dollar salary that I make, multi million dollar salary, as a matter of fact, especially with PK Subban. Um, I don't have the numbers up right now, of course, of what he actually makes, but uh, you could sit there and say it's going to work, but it never does. It's proven time and time again. 
especially doing it to a guy like Reeves and Lucic, we'll see. I, I doubt anything happens because the NHL, what's funny is the NHL won't punish that harshly. But if somebody were to go and jump Subban for doing it, they would probably punish that more harshly. So the NHL is it's so ass backwards with what it and its identity crisis of what it wants to do for if it wants to appeal to the newer fans or if it wants to appeal to the older fans. So it's weird how that works, how this this slew foot eh, 15K. Here you go. But if if Reeves were to turn around, which Reeves couldn't because he was injured, and Lucic for whatever reason didn't, but I I mean well, I should say for whatever reason he didn't. But if they were to turn around and just fucking pile drive the dude, they're gonna get fined for it, and they're probably gonna get suspended for doing so. And Pecan's or excuse me, Pecan, <laughs> fucking a, uh, PK Subban, he's not gonna answer the bell the next game. We've seen it. He won't even answer to Marshan three quarters of the time, and when he does, he just bails on the fight. So. You, you can't even enforce anymore. And this is where people also say the enforcer's coming back and fighting will be back. It's not coming back. This is the exact reason why it's not coming back. Because if they were to go out there and do something to PK or do something to even one of his teammates, the legal crackdown on those guys, but somehow PK Subban is allowed to do whatever. Because we took out the enforcer, so the game is all of a sudden safer, which doesn't make any sense because we're still seeing this fucking shit pulled. All the shit that people said would go away when the enforcer was gone out of hockey is still happening. Shocker. But I I almost wish a guy would just take this suspension and just say, fuck it, and go ahead and just drill PK in the mouth because I think it's warranted at this point with how many slew foots he's done just this season. I don't know if, because let's see, what PK's on jersey, right? Yeah, he's on jersey. So I don't think they play Calgary again. I could be wrong. I don't know how the NHL schedules are. But I do know that they play the Rangers again. So Reeves might have a chance to do something about it. I'm not sure. But I, I highly doubt P.K. Subban himself actually owns up to it and tries to drop the gloves with Ryan Reeves. It's just not happening. It's just not in P.K.'s DNA. We've seen it his entire career. But this is the shit that Kelly Chase talks about in Ice Guardians. You can hear it in that in that movie. Uh, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you to go back and check out. It's a documentary on the entire role of the enforcers in hockey um, from day one to what it, oh man, when did that film come out? Probably like 2016, I think 2017, somewhere around that era. Um, and Kelly Chase said it best. The, you know, you could, you could sit there and say, loving the view equipment bag. Oh yeah. <laughs> no angle dangle. He yeah, had no fucking, I didn't even make it to my last game. I was so hung over after the blades game. Um, terrible. Let let the whole team down. Just in shambles after my my fucking <laughs> after my um absence from the team. We'll say, but um no. So Kelly Chase said it best, man. You can sit there until until you're blue in the face and say that fines and suspensions will work. But you knew exactly what the fine was in Detroit if you ran Steve Eisman, and that was Bob Probert and Joe Kosher. So Kelly Chase didn't do it because those guys were out there. And I get people, some say, or some might say, you know, Reeves is out there, so he shouldn't be able to do that. But the problem is the NHL won't let them enforce. So suspensions don't even work anymore because it, or fines especially don't work because it just doesn't, nothing happens. Um, Craig, thanks for the shout out on the jersey there. Uh, this was given, I, I traded uh, Mike DeGurse's game-worn uh, Chiefs jersey for that, for this one. So if you can see there, 33, it's Mike, Mike DeGurse, fantastic stand-up guy. I love the dude. Former, former guest of the podcast as well. 
Um, but enforcers aren't even allowed to enforce. So this fighting, the, this myth that fighting and enforcing will come back in hockey, it's not. The toothpaste can't be put back in the tube. And so now they, this is the product. This is what we get. And people wonder why shit goes down and n- nothing is answered because this is the NHL or the, this is the, the product that the NHL wanted. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't. For those who think fighting is coming back, I'm sorry. It's not. Not to say that fighting won't. I don't think fighting will ever be eliminated completely. I think it'll always be in the game, but the enforcing of the game can rarely happen anymore. Um, PK Subban just won't drop the gloves with Reeves, nor will Reeves end up go and running a guy from New Jersey. Same thing with Lucic. It's just not going to happen because, again, they're going to be the bad guys. And then everybody, the best part is the, the fans crying about PK Subban, how he should be suspended and he's a dirty player. Reeves and Lucic goes out and buckles a guy. They're going to be up in arms about that. And so now it's a no-win situation because you were just calling for PK's head a month ago. But now after retribution has been had, and it's I'm not telling you to go put out a guy or put a guy out for his career and put him on a stretcher, but just send a message. But those guys will be the bad guys. So nobody can win anymore in the in the NHL world. Nobody can there's no such thing as on ice retribution anymore because everybody's just a bad guy. Uh, according to Hockey Twitter anyway. Hockey Twitter is a terrible fucking place, and I hope none of you ever, ever have to venture there. <laughs> um, one second, let me get a swig of beer here. But that's just how it goes. So the suspensions clearly don't work. I don't know how many times we've had to say this in the past, and players have said it. Um, if you really want to, like, uh, maybe, I guess, if you want to crack down on it, then... Um, give Subban like 20 something games. It's just, I don't think that's, I, I don't know if that's enough. I'm not saying, um, that should, that, that wouldn't be enough games. I'm saying it would be, but I don't know if that's enough to ever make it stop, you know, who knows? So we'll see what happens. And then another thing, speaking of the whole kind of hypocritical thing on hockey Twitter. So the other night in the lightning game, uh, I saw the highlight there and I, uh, bitched and moaned about this on Twitter. So, Mikhail Sergachev threw a hit on, uh, was it Marner, I think, Mitch Marner? Um, in the Maple Leafs game, it was Toronto versus Tampa, and it was a little bit up high. Hit him in the head, but, you know, Marner stayed in the game. He was on the ne- he was on the power play the very next shift, so he was fine. Um, Sergachev ended up getting two games for it as that came out today. But you saw Maple Leaf fans all over it. Oh, my God, Wayne Simmons has to go out there and do something. He's got to go. He's got to just go pump Sergachev, and he'll teach him. Watch, watch, watch. And fuck, no, guess what Simmons didn't do? He didn't go teach him because, one, I don't know how the – I don't know what the coach is telling him. So that's what people always forget. People think because Wayne doesn't go out and uh, grab Sergachev right away the next shift that uh, it's Wayne not doing his job. Um, it's, it's just that – Wayne Simmons can't win in that situation either because everybody on the Leafs was was complaining that that Wayne Simmons was even on the team in the first place. And it's only convenient for fans to want Wayne in the lineup when it's convenient for them. They don't give a shit about Wayne Simmons. Only when something bad happens to their player, then they give a shit. But before, he was just a big dummy who just didn't have any skill. And they, I don't know why we brought in Wayne Simmons here. Um, but now of course they're his favorite or he's their favoriteist and they want him to do something about it. So why should he, if you guys were sitting there bitching and moaning about it, you know, a year ago when he signed with the Maple Leafs and again, he ain't going to win either. Um, let's see. Brian asked, do you think it's worth it for a guy like Reeves to just grab PK and take the two, five and 10 just to prove a point and make him answer? Uh, yes, I I've said it and Darren has said it. 
honestly, at this point, uh, well, I know Reeves is injured, um, so that's unfortunate. But, I mean, just take a suspension. Pump the fucking guy. Reeves isn't making a lot of money on, on the team. He's not a big part of the salary. He's a big part of the team. Um, I think there's more behind the scenes stuff with Reeves and uh, people don't really believe that there's such thing as locker room guys, but I think it's been proven time and time again on teams that locker room guys are huge to the team. Um, it was just shown the other day. Reeves was showing somebody in practice how to, you know, I don't think it was anybody crazy. I forget who it was. I don't know any of the roster, so I apologize, Brian, but he was teaching them how to fight in, in practice, just, you know, showing them little tips and tricks. Um, it's just, you know, like how to grab, maybe do Jersey jabs, which we'll get into actually the evolution of that later. Um, as Steve wanted to ask a, a good question on Twitter about that, but you know, he was just showing that. So I, I think it'd be worth it for reefs to do it. Yeah. Because it's not like he, he wasn't brought in for his goal scoring abilities, which I can't believe he still hasn't even gotten a fight this year, let alone Wilson and Reeves going at it. That was the sole purpose Reeves was brought in. Um, and whether Ranger fans want to say it or not, it really is. What do you go out and sign a guy like that for after the, the capital has just dismantled your entire organization <laughs> after this season? So um, I, I think it is. But the problem is at that point, though, so is it worth it? Yes and no, because I think it would send a message to P.K. Subban not to be a fucking idiot. But at the same time, I think the NHL is going to come down with the fucking hammer on Ryan Reeves and they probably end up giving him like 10 games for doing that. So it's more so one of those things where at that point, if PK doesn't drop the gloves, what you could do back in the day was say, okay, since you don't want to do this and you're going to be an idiot, I'm going to go hit your other fucking star player. And I think Scott Parker said that nice guardians and a bunch of other players who have, you know, come on the podcast or even involved in the group have said, They'll go out and send a message if a guy doesn't want to drop the gloves. So you could do that, but you can't do that anymore. So enforcement is almost at a, it's gone now in today's hockey. Um, and exactly, John, John said it best. Nobody will grab Subban because nobody understands that mentality more, excuse me, mentality anymore. And it's true. It's like, um, hell, even that clip the other day when Doug Gilmore got hit by Marty McSorley, there was no questions asked. Wendell went straight after him. That's just and people say that there's clean or there's fights after clean hits now. One, that's the point, is so that that hitting doesn't happen again if it's on a star player or on a teammate. That's the whole point. I get it. People don't like it, but and whether or not people say that didn't happen back in the '80s, '90s, yes, it did. It, it was the whole reason that happened. And same thing with Wayne Gretzky when he gets hit. Um, why do you think nobody hit Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> because McSorley was there to answer. Um, so you just you you just can't in, you can't even enforce anymore, and that's the problem. The NHL it's such a weird league in its suspensions right now that I think Reeves would get more if he went over and pumped Subban than Subban actually got for slew footing three guys and already in the season. So it's a double edged sword. Do I think Reeves should do it? Yes, but do I think he will? No, and do I also think he should? Maybe not because of how bad the league is going to come down on him, but. At the same time, like I said before, Reeves isn't there to score goals, so I don't, I don't know. Um, this is exactly what Brian Burke said in the press interview or the press conference years ago when he had to put um, Colt Nor on waivers. He said the Rats will take over the game, and this is this is what we have here. And I'm not saying that enforcement was perfect back in the day. Nothing in life is perfect. Enforcers, there was still stuff wrong with enforcing, as you know, we saw certain incidents like you know McSorley and Bertuzzi and stuff. Although I think if Steve Moore just answered the bell to Bertuzzi, he doesn't get dropped like that, and he'd be just seat belted him. That wouldn't happen. But that's a that's a song for another time. Um, so this is just uh, 
this is what it's at now. Everybody, everybody's free range to do what they want because there's no, there's no retribution really. And even if there is retribution, what really happens? Because Brian, I know you saw it firsthand with the Capitals, and ever everything after the crazy Wilson incident that everybody blew out of proportion, where he could have just ended uh, Panarin's career and blah blah blah. Never mind you, people are have a distaste for that, but it's okay to block shots with their, you know, your femur and your, your face, whatever. Oh no, that's good hockey though. But that's not, that, that can't possibly be career ending. Um, God forbid the goalie has to make a save, which I get. I, I think shot blocks are a great part of the game, but at the same time, it's funny to see how hypocritical people are of that. But the enforcing that does happen or retribution that does happen really isn't anything special. What are the, who do the Rangers have to answer? for the capitals nobody those, those that line brawl off the hop was like nothing they didn't really send a message sure three guys fought but after the first period nothing happened and wilson was sitting there smiling the entire time nothing happened to tom wilson so um wilson sat out there and i i mean wilson and the Capitals single-handedly dismantled the rangers organization in one small little um Incident. I use air quotes there because it wasn't even really an incident. It was just a scrum, a nothing scrum in the corner. Um, John said Reeves disappointed the fuck out of me after the last game versus the Capitals. And you and me both, you'd think he was – I mean, I, I don't know if – because I know Gallant's the coach there at uh, New York – for the Rangers now. So I know he I, – I don't know if he said something to Reeves. You never know. That's the only – bad part about that is you, you don't know the backstory with coaches if they gave him the red light and they put the leash on a guy like that or um, what have you so I was disappointed too I thought I remember I was actually on my way back I was one it was during my Tampa saga when I was driving back and forth I had like a really shitty like stream of that game in my lap while I'm driving and Brian over here my my good buddy the Capitals fan him and uh, his other him and my other buddies um, our Capitals fans, and I had them. I was like, literally, tell me if, if the puck's dropping, tell me what's going on because I'm driving back to Tampa right now and I'm missing this game. I thought for sure some shit was going to happen. And I mentioned that earlier in the podcast uh, a couple episodes ago. I said, I don't think Ryan Reeves and uh, Tom Wilson are going to fight 16 times in the season, but I thought for sure opening night they were going to do something. But I think the league came in and said some dumb shit. Of course, God forbid any emotion is shown. Um, so I don't know if, Bettman said something or Perro said something. Um, who knows? But I was definitely disappointed because you'd think Reeves, that's his sole purpose of coming into the game and being there for the Rangers after that, again, incident. I use that term loosely. To go out there and at least give Tom Wilson a go or something Something happened. Um, let me see. John, horrific act of violence. Can't believe this mud show would even sink low to give that kind of thuggery airtime. Yeah, the hor horrific act of violence that the Rangers had. So they went out and got um, <laughs> so they went out and got Reeves because that makes sense. Because we were gonna fight violence with violence, which is what you're supposed to do. But at the same time, I love how they said it was just a horrific act of violence. But meanwhile, went out and picked up Ryan Reeves and started a line brawl the next game, um, off the, off the opening hop here. And Brian said Reeves could have just grabbed Wilson when they were both on the ice, and he didn't. And Ranger fans talk about how Willie was dodging the fight. I'm sure every fan base is just it's it's how it goes. And I, I've got a distaste for every fan base. I already got into it with Tampa fans this past game um, or the the one before. Actually, of course, here we go. Tom Wilson again. Fuck. I feel like I'm always bringing up fucking Willie um, just because everybody, he's such a hot commodity on hockey Twitter that everybody freaks the fuck out. Um, and yeah, like you said, if you really wanted to answer the Wilson problem, you would have just gone right after him and grabbed him and started the fight. And it's so true. Guys just don't do that anymore. It's not, it used to be like, hey, we're going to go. 
or not I mean, fuck if you're Dave Brown you're not going to tell the guy you're going to go the whole point you you were dead wrong if your gloves were off last as a matter of fact it was never a hey we're going to go like that's what I laugh at with the John Scott thing too and you know no disrespect to John Scott but when he's like I was I was so angry I was so mad after the Leafs thing I went up and I told Kessel hey we're going it's like why would you if you're so mad why would you tell the guy just go up and fucking pump him and I know Reeves hates Wilson. He's come out and said it, and there's a big rivalry there. So I have no clue why he didn't grab him. But that's, again, maybe in the back of his head, it was the league who said, like, you know, if uh, if some shenanigans goes down, then you're going to get a fucking 16-game suspension. So I don't know if anything went down in the background, but I'd like to – I'd sure as fuck like to think that um, there wasn't anything. So who knows? Let's see. John said, that's true. On the other hand, I also hate the Caps fan who said Wilson is too good of a player to fight Reeves like five minutes each game, one of the regular season. Yeah, exactly. So it's like for one fight, and that's that's where I also said they're not going to fight 16 times a season. Wilson is for sure the better player than Reeves. I mean, he plays on the first line with Ovechkin, for Christ's sake. Um, but for just five minutes for one game, I, I, I think it's – I don't think that's too much to ask for. So – both fan bases are just crazy about it. And again, this they both even only had four fights each last season. So nothing was crazy. They weren't, you know, starting the revolution to bring enforcers back like everybody thinks that is going to happen with hockey these days for some reason. Um, so for for one game, for five minutes, I, I think the boys can go. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens on the next game. It's funny how spread out they are. I can't remember, but I, I was looking at the schedule. And I was like, Holy shit. Just cause I was just curious about how, uh, the next game will go between the two teams of, you know, the Rangers and the Capitals, but I think it's pretty spread out as far as when they play each other again, for whatever reason. Um, but we'll see how it goes, but I just, you know, the, I mean, moral of the story is we got a little sidetracked here, but it is what it is. It's always a good time. That's what the whole live episodes are for. We just have kind of a little fucking, script to go off of but not really so either way suspensions don't work that's that's what we're getting at here um so we'll go on here and steve had asked a great question steve for when probert was king.com and i encourage you to go check out when probert was king.com does great write-ups and he's also trying to bring bring back the um Drop Your Gloves site. It's going to be a Drop Your Gloves 2.0, and it's going to be a bit better and badder version of what the original one was. But you fuckers need to go out there and donate your goddamn money. All your paycheck goes straight to straight to Steve's GoFundMe for that goddamn website. Just kidding. Don't spend all your paycheck. But seriously, go donate some money if you can to the GoFundMe. I have it posted somewhere here on the group. If you look at the featured or the announcements, I'm sure it's up there. So I encourage you to do that. It'll help preserve some hockey fight history. Um there's no sun to keep out of your eyes. I know, but I have this beautiful hair underneath this, Jay, that, uh, you know, it's it, it radiates in the sunlight and it just it, it goes crazy. I have curly hair. It does what it, it does, what it will. And I, I got it out of my control. So um, and so, honestly, I'm, I'm just a hack. I wear a hat fucking everywhere. I'm sorry, Jay. I know you come in here and give me shit here and fucking, you know, you've been in here for maybe a minute now at this point. And you're sitting here talking shit. So that's just how it goes. Fucking Jay out in Iowa. Goddamn UHL legends. And exactly, John. There you go. Give Steve some money, you cheap fucks. There you go. You heard it first. Um, so I encourage you to go do that. And as we're going on the topic of Steve's questions. So he had two. The The second one we'll get into, which I think will be a little bit of a longer answer, is kind of the 
uh, evolution of the role in fighting and when it kind of changed and what fights might have changed fighting, which I'd, I'd actually really like to do a deep dive into that and um, may do some more research into it. This is all off the cuff on the live episodes for the most part. Excuse me, especially for tonight. I apologize. I haven't been live in like the past three weeks because I've been so fucking busy with work. But nonetheless, you know, glad to be here. But the biggest question he asked was, has there been any fights that ever turned the tides that you can remember? That's basically along the lines of that, changing momentum. I can get the exact question. I'll pull it up here. Um, But basically, it was like kind of changing momentum that you can remember in a game if it uh, might have won the game or rallied the team. Uh, Let's see here. Biggest impact fight ever, whether it be all-time or a fight that was particularly big for a team. It could be a fight that defined an era or even one that defines hockey fighting itself. Discuss. So, because I want to be fresh here, and my it's just my knowledge because I'm, you know, so young and fresh and whatever have you compared to the old fucking folks out there such as Steve and uh, Darren and Joe. And, I mean, you know, they're probably brawling it out at Shady Pines as we speak. But I will use my young brain to... Go back to recent memory. And two come to mind. I know for sure one. And again, we'll fucking bring up Tom Wilson, damn it. Um, so we'll share it here. Let me pull it up on the screen. I will look at it uh, here. So it was Tom Wilson versus, um, what's his name? Fucking Braden Coburn of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I couldn't remember it. So I'll look up. Here we go. Tom Wilson versus Coburn. That was a fight in playoffs. It was game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. So let me share the screen here. Um, And we will get after this. Where is it at? Here we go. There we go. Tom Wilson versus Coburn. Got a lovely YouTube ad here. No, I don't. Everybody wants to fucking ads, ads and shit. So we'll wait for this to go. But this one, I remember, was game seven. They had like uh, like a spat before, and they came straight out of the box and fought immediately after that. And as soon as this happened, Washington was already up one nothing. Right after this fight, before the period ended, Washington goes up 2-0. And I, I can't remember the final score of the game. But after that fight happened, I just remembered, I, I thought to myself, I was like, fuck, Tampa's not winning this. Tampa is not winning this. So, and sure as shit, they didn't. And this is the year that the Caps went on to win the Cup. So, here we go. It'll be fresh out the box here. You'll see them down here coming in is Coburn and Wilson. Hopefully, it's not too loud. Uh, let me know after this video plays if uh, I got some audio issues at all. Then on for Ellis. Right at center ice. Right right and Wilson got the better of him in the fight. Wilson with the right, his helmet is off. They're throwing rights. Wilson and trying to come back is Coburn. Wilson throwing a right and then Coburn. The helmets are off. I think he gets the takedown, if I remember right. I don't think they're actually separated. Ooh, fuck. Wilson kicked on the last one. That was bad. Um, But yes, immediately after that fight, uh, the following play, before the first even ended, they got... um, They they got a goal and went on to win the game. And Brian, the good old Caps fan, says, final was 3-0 Caps, I believe. So perfect. Um, So... That's one fight I can remember, and the other one being a um, 
Oh yeah, John, we'll talk about that too. That was a good one. Um, the LaRock versus Evenins fight that uh, was the good luck fight, and I, yeah, that changed for sure. And that was actually that was on the back burner too. Was part of the evolution, but I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up now because I was going to actually bring that exact fight up about the evolution of the code. But the Capitals fight went on to win the get, or I should say, win the game. But, you know, it really changed the tide. Caps go up score, and they end up scoring another one, 3-0 Caps, and they go on to win the Cup that year. So can you really say that fight absolutely won them Game 7? No, obviously a fight can't completely win you a game, but it definitely changes the momentum, gets the boys going. Going up 2-0 in the first against a deadly Tampa team that year was fucking huge. And the other one I can remember, um, let me pull it back up here before I share the screen, was maybe I'll keep it small so it's a little bit easier to see. I don't know. Um let me see here. It was Talbot versus my best good buddy, Carcillo. I'm not a huge fan of Danny Carcillo, but this fight was pretty big, too. Oh, let me fucking pause it. There we go. All right, so let me go ahead and share the screen here. This fight, so I'll give you the backstory. The uh, Penguins were down 3 to nothing in Philly, and I think it was game six, and they went on to win and come back rally score i think four straight or five straight after that i think it was five because i think uh, there was an empty net goal at the end there score five straight after this after talbot fought carcillo and i don't even think talbot really won the fight if i remember correctly um but it just got the momentum changed on the bench and i believe i 2009 i'm almost positive that's the year that the penguins won the cup before uh the blackhawks went on their run so correct me if i'm wrong and my Modern hockey knowledge isn't the greatest, greatest, but um, so here we go. I'll share the screen here. We can watch this one. His very good friend, Marty Biron, gives him a pat on the pads. They've got such a great relationship. And it's funny because I think oh, it's, um, no, don't give Carcel him a reason to go. They were set up right at the face-off dot. And the referee came in and talked to them, but they let the play go and dropped the mitts. I understand why Max Talbot is fighting here, but if you're Dan Carcillo, there's yep. really no reason to engage. You have all the momentum. You're up three yeah, Carcillo the game. God, Carcillo was such an awesome place. fucking player. I love Carcillo. Love it, but you know oh. what, Him after hockey, though, there's has no been kind reason. of a nightmare. Do not give the Penguins any opportunity. So you hear that, and you say, uh, you know, do not give the Penguins any opportunity. And sure as shit, guess what he did? He gave the Penguins an opportunity, and they came back, and they won uh, They won that fight, or excuse me, that won that game. And let me see. So they sucked the wind out of Tampa sales. Yes, so the Coburn and Wilson fight definitely did. John, I'm with you on fuck Carcillo. Carcillo, great player. Loved him as a player, but after hockey, he's been brutal. Um so that was a great fight of, or excuse me, a great example of a fight changing the tide of a game as well. Um, those are the two that I can think in recent memory as far as like early 2000s and 90s go. I can't really remember. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I want to say when Iginla and Vinny fought, uh, Vinny LeCavalier fought in that Tampa-Calgary series, they, I want to say they ended up winning. Uh, Tampa did at home. It was an at-home fight. I could be wrong on that. Uh, that's I was like seven years old when that happened. So I remember watching that fight on my TV at my grandmother's um, at my grandmother's house in like the summer up in Iowa. But I can't remember if Tampa actually won that game or not. But I know that was another fight that even John Tortorella was fucking excited about it. So fights could definitely change change momentum in a game. Those who don't think, and I know people don't like the staged fights and whatever, which that's also the evolution of fighting, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, the staged fights hate using that term, but I only use it because everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Sadly. Um, 
I'm really slacking on my beer department here. So, um, the you know staged fights or whatever, they still could change momentum. You you set the tone for the game if it's early on. If not, if you, you guys are down just like that, that was kind of a staged fight, I guess. It was you know giving them giving them a reason. I don't think that nothing crazy happened in that game beforehand to make Carcillo go after Talbot at all. And sure as shit, after they fought, the Penguins come back, score five straight. Put They hung five on the Flyers after that. And that was like in the second period, too. It wasn't even like it was early on in the game. So I think half the game was already played at that point. So that's just in recent memory of, of, of fights being able to change the tide of a game and change momentum. Uh, a lot of people don't think it can, but from – my experience, um, obviously not playing beer league, my experience interviewing people and enforcers and tough guys that are in that role, uh, they say it can. And I've interviewed players who weren't necessarily in the fighter role who also say it can. It really gets them going. Like uh, guys such as Pat Barton uh, had a great interview with him. He goes, he, the ins and outs of the role of tough guys and what it's like being on a team with them and what it's like fighting himself. Fantastic interview. Um, Brian Rasmussen, who I had on, who's not necessarily a tough guy, even played in the crazy Quebec league and they still played a, a, you know, a certain aspect in that game too. Even up in the crazy LNH, they could still change the tide of a game. So, um, at, at all levels, I think fighting can change the tides of a, a game. And thank you. Yes, John it is the most ignorant, or excuse me, staged fighting is the most ignorant phrase in hockey. Yes. Nothing is staged about it. I can't fucking stand it. Um, so Getting into the evolution of fighting in hockey, um, I'll give you the kind of the cliff notes version here as opposed to doing the deep dive. You could you could really go back, although I'd love to actually do a, a redo of that that episode, just make it fresh, and I know a lot of people haven't probably listened to that interview. Uh, I did one with Shane Guilfoyle of the History of Hockey podcast, and I think the episode was just called History of Hockey Fights. Um, me and him did a swap cast, so we both recorded the same episode, put it up on both of our podcasts, which is a shame. Uh, that podcast was awesome. I know Shane is definitely busy. He's, I, I think he's got some. Tw- he's got twins now, uh, doing a bunch of other stuff. But Shane is an awesome dude, and if, if you want to be entertained for hours with hockey stuff, go back and check out the History of Hockey podcast from Shane Guilfoyle. He doesn't do it anymore, unfortunately, but you have plenty of back catalog to go through there. So, um. I, I, I guess we'll start off here with like the 70s and, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s. I, I kind of compile that whole anywhere from the inception of the NHL to about the 70s, probably into the same category, just because fighting hadn't been used almost as a tactic yet. It got more so used when guys just got pissed off at each other than the stick swinging and the fights would happen and um, the line brawls and shit like that. You know, of course, uh, John, you're going to love this because I know you're a big Flyers fan. Of course, everybody knows the Broad Street Bullies, the the Flyers came to town and they were the first to really use that um, intimidation factor as a tool that became vital to the game. And because of them, I don't think without them, you wouldn't even have enforcers even as recently as, you know, 2015 and stuff like that because they blew it out of proportion and it began everything at that point became teams looking for the next Dave Schultz and the next Moose DuPont and shit like that. So that was the big thing that led to it. And then the eighties happened and that's when guys kind of started really becoming more adapted into the role, I think. Um, so that's when you started getting like your, your Chris Nylans, uh, you had Tiger Williams, Ben Wilson, uh, Nick Fatigue, guys like that. 
where they really started to become specialized. And the 80s was when, uh, if you want to talk about tactics as far as fighting goes, I think the 80s, and uh, those in the chat can correct me if I'm wrong, were really the first era where we saw tough guys, not all of them, but some of them starting to take like fighting lessons or maybe doing some boxing in the off season. Uh, I know that Nick Fatigo's big claim to fame is, um, you know, he was a golden glove boxer uh, in the off season. And uh, he grew up a, a tough guy who was, who was always known for boxing out in New York and shit like that. So I don't think it was all the time, but I know Probert mentioned it in the last gladiators. Uh, he was with a trainer or something. They were doing boxing in the locker room. So, I think that's when guys started becoming a little bit more specialized in the role and they realized, okay, like if this is my job, you got to kind of go all in because you don't really hear much of Dave Schultz after the Flyers days. I know he was with, uh, I think he was with LA at one point, but I know for sure he was with, you know, Buffalo and Pittsburgh. So you don't really hear much after that though, because it might not, might've became dis disheartened in the role or uh, uninterested at that point. So the eighties is when you really get these guys who, I think fully embraced the role more than what was than those previous. And you could still afford to have that guy who was strictly tough and didn't necessarily have to put up points on the board. Like you got your John Ferguson early on in the, in the, uh, in the inception of the NHL when it was, you know, I think it was like the 1960s when John Ferguson came in and he could still put up points and he was, uh, you know, known as the original enforcer. So John Ferguson did a great job in that. But these guys in the 80s and stuff could still kind of, you know, not necessarily have to put up points, but could still fight. And then um, I think that's also when kind of grips and grabs and what have you on jerseys. And also, you know, that's when jersey modifications started coming in. It was, I think, around the 80s. Um, and I had an episode with Brent Covery covering this. Uh, sorry, that's his last name. So Brent Cover covering this. Uh, this topic of jerseys from way, I mean, I think it was like the third episode I ever did on the podcast. It was uh, Enforcer Jersey Special. So um, that was when jersey customizations came in. So you started getting these tactics. I think guys started realizing you could start grabbing jersey sleeves. So, you know, guys' arms are tied up. I know anybody listening to the podcast because this will be out Tuesday. You can't see me. I'm over here like, you know, fucking pantomiming a hockey fight in the camera. Uh, but grabbing like jerseys and sleeves and stuff like that to tie up guys. You had, you had Dave Hunter, uh, Dave Hunter, um, you had Tim Hunter who would do the cross grab. Uh, you had Dave Brown who would uh, maybe combat stuff like that. He would get the tight sleeve going on and McSorley with the tight sleeves. So tactics were starting to come in more with not only just the fighting style, but jerseys as well. And even up until I think even to this day, some Jersey modifications are still done. I, I think Tom Wilson still does a double. Does he do a double tie down? I think he might do the, the old skate lace at the collar that goes all the way down to tie into the front of his pants. Um, I'm trying to, th I, I don't know if any other guys do any fight mods. Lucic doesn't at least now, because I had one of his game ones and there was nothing special about it. It was a cool jersey, but he didn't do any mods to it or anything like that. Um, but, you know, guys started adding double tie downs. You had McCray and Cordic with the Velcro sleeves, which that got outlawed. And people, I, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, in the Rob Ray episode, and people were bitching and moaning about Rob Ray's stuff. And no, adding jersey modifications is not cheating. Uh, actually, all the jersey modifications have to get approved by the league. If they aren't, then I believe there's either a fine or a suspension or something like that. But certain alterations weren't allowed, like the the Velcro sleeves with Cordic and McRae. Those got outlawed really quick. And luckily, I think there's two jerseys out there that have it. I know I know Brent has Cordic's Velcro sleeves, which looks insane. And I've seen a McRae out there with it as well. Um, 
It was either was it McCray or Churla? I can't remember. It was somebody. It was either it was either McCray or Churla from the North Stars. Now I might be second guessing myself, but one of them had the Velcro sleeves. But that got outlawed. So that was when tactics started changing a bit um, as far as even jerseys and then the grabbing and um, the jersey jab. I know. I know. Steve had mentioned the jersey jab. I don't think we really started seeing jersey jabs that much until. Uh, maybe the nineties. And I think, you know, if you want to correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I want to say like the later nineties and the earlier two thousands, because before it was kind of, especially in like, you know, the, the broad street bullies days, it was really just, you know, fucking not even really worry about grabbing on. You're just trying to grab on to get a grip and then you're just chucking away. You're, you're just giving it all you got. Um, and that was pretty much the same up until the late 90s, I think. It, every fight, I'm not saying that there wasn't grappling matches and stuff with guys jostling for, for position, but I don't really think you were, you saw jersey jabs. Um, I know I was talking with Chris Nyland a little bit. Uh, he threw up, He was one of the first few to throw uppercuts. There was a couple. I think Fatiu would throw uppercuts. But before the 80s, uppercuts weren't really thrown that much in hockey fights, If you if you go back and look at the earlier footage of what limited footage is out there, unfortunately. But the uppercut wasn't really big. And then once you got into the 90s, that was when guys really started getting specialized. And that's where, you know, the staged fight started happening. That And again, excuse me, the staged fight term is used loosely here. And that's because the league started cracking down. That was when the instigator rule came out. So fighting had to evolve because of the, the instigator rule and the role involved, or excuse me, evolving. And I think that was when really people realized that fighting can be used for momentum as well. And that's also why the staged fights happened because momentum can change a game. And that, I think guys started realizing that a little bit more out in the nineties. And that was when the center ice fights started happening. Like, you know, you had the, like the Scott Parker and Stu Grimson and what have you guys like that, you know, that's just a fight off the top of my head, but, um, you know, it's funny. I like I like when people say staged fights don't happen, and uh, they only happen as of recently. So if you're gonna sit there and tell me that Bob Probert and Ty Domi uh, round two wasn't staged, then I don't know what to tell you. Of course, everybody else, Probert would never do a staged fight, and it always the Probert fanboys are the worst. I'm a huge Bob Probert fan, but the fanboys are just fucking terrible. Um, you get Bob Probert and Ty Domi going round two out in MSG. You're gonna sit there and tell me that uh, that wasn't staged or pre-planned before the game. So. They still happened. They just weren't. They just didn't have a fucking name yet. One sec here. Let me crush this. All right. Let me grab a new one. Um, but yeah. So I don't. I don't think the term stage fight really started coming in until the earlier two thousands. And as John alluded to earlier with the code comment about La Rock and even ends. Um, the code didn't, I, a lot of guys didn't even know what the fuck the code was, uh, back in the day, even Barnaby came out on Twitter and said, I don't know what the fuck that I've never heard the term, the code, whatever, um, in his entire playing career. I don't even think that came out until early two thousands. That was when the code actually got a name. Uh, and that was because somebody, I guess in the locker room or whatever, did a little piece and it's a book that came out. It was called like the code, the unwritten rules of, of hockey fights or some shit like that. And it got blown so far out of proportion that people enforcers themselves bought into it. And it was like the thing I alluded to with John Scott earlier and, and uh, Phil Kessel. I was so mad at him, but I told him I was going to go. That's like, why would you tell him? Why would you tell him you're going to go if you're so mad at him? 
And it's all oh, because it's part of the code. Like, no, stop. That, that, what do you think your job became irrelevant? Because it, you'd be every, every tough guy became too nice at one point. And I think that's why, like, if you look, certain guys lasted longer than others. John Scott was probably a little bit better of a hockey player than, than some of them. But, like, McGratton probably lasted longer than he should have, honestly. But it's because he was fucking mean. Um, same thing with maybe Derek Bugard. You know, you look at his point totals, but I mean, he was, you know, it was like nuclear warfare at that point. And that was another evolution of, of fighting. But also in the 2000s, that was when the off-season fight training really became prevalent. Um, yes, John, exactly. It made it look dumb. It made fighting look like a joke. And I think it, the whole, I've, I've said it, Darren has said it, but like you fight, like, like, like the outsiders looking in at the world of hockey and they're trying to get into fighting and they're trying to understand it. And they're like, you know. So they pull up the one fight. I forget who the fuck it's between, but they sit there, they throw a couple Jersey jabs and then it's oh good fight, bro. Can't And then they're in the penalty box. Can't wait to work out with you in the summer. And it's like, what, what was the point of even fighting then? And I get being friends on the ice. Like Kelly chase and Tony twist are best friends. They still fought same thing with Bob Probert and Joe Koser, but they still fought, but there was no, can't wait to work out with you in the summer. Um, <laughs> exactly john says have respect boys but let's not make it look like a birthday party prize game and that's it i'm not saying you got to sit there and just absolutely fucking hate your opponent but don't like sugarcoat it and add a bow and a ribbon on top of it and give it a little kiss before you go to the penalty box it's like what the fuck man it makes it look so silly and that's what it, that's what makes it really look staged that's what looks staged more than anything couple jersey jabs and they don't even throw to hurt because oh we're best boys and then can't wait to work out with you in the summer that, that, that just killed the role the whole point of enforcing at that point isn't even needed because there's no enforcing done even with um i pulled up the video a while ago and i can't remember, I, I won't pull it up now because it's really not that big of a deal but I think it was Cal Foot on the Lightning. Somebody hit a teammate on the Lightning, and uh, it was a questionable hit. So Cal Foot goes and fights him, drops the gloves or whatever. Did fuck all in the fight, which you know. But hey, props to him. He dropped the gloves. But you're so mad that your teammate that's injured over there on the ground now. You're so mad he had to go fight this guy. But then afterwards, you're tapping the guy, saying thanks for the fight. That looks fucking stupid. Why even fight him then if you're just going to sit there and not throw with intentions and then thank him for the fight? Why are you thanking him? You should keep going until the refs come in and beat the fuck out of him because your teammate is injured. So that that whole point of enforcing at that at that you know stage just looks fucking silly. You can't enforce anymore, and enforcers stopped enforcing. And that was the role of, of enforcers once it got to this whole product. Probably 2005 on, it got worse and worse. And there was still old school guys hanging around, but then for whatever reason, they got kicked out of the league or no teams to sign them. That's why a lot of them had to go over to Europe, like, you know, West Garth. Although I think West Garth bought into the code a bit, but wasn't as bad still. Uh, but you had the West Garth, McGratton, um, uh, Klotz, guys like that going over to play overseas. But it just all looks so stupid. Enforcers killed the role themselves because they just started buying into this code bullshit. So it's like, oh. If I run this guy, all I got to do is seatbelt him, and then he's going to say good fight, and then we'll work out into the uh, in the summer this year, uh, and it'll be fine. So it's okay if I, you know, put his teammates head into the boards. We're just going to throw jersey jabs and say good fight afterwards. So it's that that like why even fight at that point? It just makes it look stupid, and the the role in fighting in hockey looks fucking dumb at that point. So I don't know why anybody would 
think that's cool. And then he, that's the problem too, is people buy into it. The fucking fans bought into it. Every comment. Oh, it was, that's what really made this fight was the, the commentary in the penalty box. What the fuck are you talking about? There wasn't one that wasn't even a fight and two. It just looks so stupid. What do you mean? And I'm not saying again, you don't have to, you, you don't have to absolutely hate the guy and just shit talk him the entire fucking game, but maybe just don't kiss his ass right after a fight. That just looks stupid. And like, I'm a huge Mel Anglestad and Bob Probert fan. I'm not saying this isn't okay. Like Bob Probert and Mel Angle said they fought in that preseason game. Excuse me. And afterwards, you know, Anglestad said, hey, thank you, Mr. Probert. Um, and that's fine. You know, cool. You didn't see him going over there. So, Proby, when are we working out in the summer? Where are we grabbing beers after the game? And I get it. People will pull up, what about the Quebec League? Look at this. The Quebec League is completely different. I'm sorry. It's apple and oranges. So, don't don't compare it to the Quebec League, please. Um but that's an evolution in the game of fight or the game of fighting, <laughs> the game of hockey, um, as far as the enforcer role goes. So y- you see it from all different aspects and as it evolved in the nineties was when it started to get in that way a little bit, but the, that was also the rules playing a factor there with the instigator and everything like that. And now even, which is funny, you still don't even see the instigator rule call or rule called too, too much. But, um, I think there was one just given out the other night. Um, not the Alexiak fight. I think it was one before that with the Kraken. I could be wrong. Fucking Kraken. What a goddamn nightmare of a name for an NHL team. Minor league team. That name That name is fucking awesome. But for an NHL team, I can't stand that name. Um, but yeah, so I, I want to do a deep dive into the code. Or I should say I want Darren to do it. Excuse me. I know Darren was talking about doing it. And I think doing a deep dive into it and actually trying to talk to players about the code and blah, 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 and all that bullshit. Um you know, if he could somehow do like a couple players for it of like, when did you hear about the code? When did you, um, you know, when did you not follow the code? Shit like that. And, you know, talk about it. And John, yes, you are right. Those, uh, those Kraken jerseys. I, I will give him that. I fucking hate that name, but goddamn, those jerseys are sweet. I enjoy those sweaters. If only, if they employed like a fucking tough guy, maybe I, I would say Reeves, but goddamn, he's not even fighting out there right now. So I don't even, I don't even know. I'm not happy with fucking Ryan Reeves right now. Damn it. Um, <laughs> no, but yes, the Kraken jerseys are pretty sick. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to see a deep dive done on the code. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Darren. Fuck the code. Exactly. Um, let's see here. And J Rod said, so true. I remember for me, the moment that jumped the shark was here in Phoenix when the rock fought even ends and the rock. Yeah. You must've just joined. I just talked about that fight earlier, how it made it look silly. And John brought it up. Uh, John Sears up there. I know we got a couple Johns in here. Um, so that was, that was it. And that, that was when guys started really buying into it. And I think players in junior might've saw that clip and was like, okay, so this is what I got to do to make it to the show. And that it just, it just snowballed. And again, my, I don't know why it bothers me. And I've gone back to it, but that John Scott going up and to the, to Phil Kessel saying how much he was so mad at him, but Hey, I'm going to jump you Kessel. You're not going to jump him. Then you're not really, you didn't, you told him you're going to do it. So he knows it's coming. And it's just like, uh, why? So the whole code thing, that's what ruined fighting. I mean, I know we're going through the evolution a bit here, more so tactics and shit, but that's what really ruined fighting was the code, whether people want to admit it or not. Uh, the code, not necessarily the code, but the, the whole buying into it, like the good fight buddy, or you want to go square up good luck thing, bullshit. It really killed fighting. It's what's, that was the, that was really the beginning of, of the end of fighting in my opinion. Um, 
this is the first time I use the word stage. Yes, that's exactly what it like the fights aren't stage, but it makes it look stage when you're you're saying good luck and then you're you're patting each other on the ass after the fight. That's what makes it look fucking stage. That's what makes it look embarrassing out there. Not two guys just fucking throw into throw. That's that's fine. Even if it's at center ice, that's not stage, but that shit makes it look stage like it's it was planned and it's just good fight will work out in the summer. It's ridiculous. Um but as far as tactics go, I, I I think I about covered it. Just in just scratching the surface, I didn't do a deep dive as I got the questions tonight, so I didn't really do a big research uh, paper into it or anything like that. But just scratching the surface of tactics and fighting, and like I said, that the especially the later two thousands, um, like the twenty tens and stuff with like West Garth. Um, I know he saw talked about it in Ice Guardians, but that was when guys started really taking like MMA and jiu jitsu lessons and shit like that in the off season, and. Fighting at that point in the mid 2000s also became like that nuclear warfare kind of fighting when like the McIntyres, the Bugards, even ends. These guys were just fucking huge at that point. Um, and that was their sole purpose. They went out there just to fight like that. If we're being honest, they weren't there to really play hockey. And that was what the role became so specialized. It almost became like our tough guy is bigger than your tough guy. So we're going to go out here and, you know. I see your McIntyre and I raise you Bugard is pretty much what it became or I raise you McGratton. So that was when the role really became, I mean, that's probably the most specialized and those guys were probably the best. They've at least knowledgeable and most well trained that they've ever been. I'm not saying um, because of that they're going to go out and beat Probert. So I don't want people to, you know, think I'm just saying, you know, because of that McGratton's the best because people love to misconstrue words. Um, but at that point, that role became so specialized and different. It it was something beyond, I think, what Dave Schultz and even Ed Snyder and the Flyers could have imagined what fighting in hockey had become, or what would would become, excuse me. Um, so for evolution on fighting in hockey, that's I think that's about as far as it is. And that now it's more so just done by guys to, I don't know, defend a teammate a little bit. But again, even defending a teammate now, you still get a pad on the ass, and here's your lollipop, be on your way. So... Um, it is what it is, and I'm sorry to say fighting is not coming back in hockey as far as, like, the enforcer. It's just not whether people I, – I don't know how people can tell me that it is. It's just not – you don't see the next round reviews, and it's no knock on the kids in junior, but it's all cut off at junior. You got 10 fight rules out in, um, you know, what is it? Is it the Western? No, not the Western League. No, I think it's – it's not even 10. I'm thinking of the coast. So you got 10 fight rules in the coast. Then you got, I think it's three fights in the OHL and three fights in the Q. The WHL doesn't have a fight limit, but they have rules. You can't even take off your your helmet. Uh, you can't take off. Oh, speaking of that, I have another question on, on Twitter. I'll pull it up about helmets too. But you can't even pull off your helmet. You can't pull off an opponent's helmet. You're like, you can't forcefully do it. It has to happen organically, which I don't know how organically you can try to not pull off a guy's helmet, I guess. Um, so Jake Jasper on Twitter asked, uh, being able to toss the buckets before a scrap when almost everyone is wearing <laughs> a visor now, a blank visor, we'll say, um, well, uh, you could thank the league for that when the league came in and put in the rule of, oh man, it was, it was probably at least five years ago now, but they came in and made the rule where guys aren't allowed to take their, um, WHO. Yes. Okay. So thank you, Darren. Um, Brian said the Q is about to take away body checking. Darren said OHL and Q are three WHL no limit, but the WHL does have that weird rule now with the the helmets. They just implemented that this year, which I went over a couple episodes ago. Um, 
yeah, and Brian said it was a point where guys who never would have played hockey past juniors found a way to get in the NHL, and it took away from done previous decades when they started. Yeah, yeah, it was where they became so specialized. I'm not saying that they couldn't play hockey if they wanted to, but that wasn't their sole role. Like, those guys literally were just there to fucking fight, which, I mean, good for them. They made the NHL doing it, but it was like that was the most specialized that role has ever uh, has ever seen. Um, but back to the the helmet thing was the NHL came in and put in the rule. It's an extra two minutes if you drop your helmet. And I think it's also in the AHL. It's an extra two minutes if you drop your helmet before fights. And then they had the the visor rule. You could get grandfathered in. So you see the guys like Lucic, Chara, Wilson, not Wilson, um, Reeves, who don't have a visor because they played X amount of games beforehand. I think you have to be able to play, uh, I think, 300 games or something like that, 300 games in the NHL before you can make that decision. Or right now it just might just be mandatory. I can't remember off the top of my head. But that's why you see guys I, – I, I see it all the time. Even on here or other fight sites, people, oh, why is he fucking fighting with the visor? What a fucking pussy and this. Like, no, it's – you can thank the league for it. Take it up with Gary Bettman in the league or whoever because they're the ones who implemented it and – these guys don't want to go because then you fuck up the lines for seven minutes and that's, you know, borderline almost half a fucking period. So at that point, why would you drop the buckets? I get it. It's better for fighting. And I think guys still want to take the helmets off. And then it became funny because the league was like uh, it became the point where you couldn't take your helmet off. And I remember in the preseason that year, excuse me, when guys would go up, they would sit there. And before <laughs> this also looks stupid because the league implemented this was guys would kind of go up and it was almost like they'd be shaking that way they don't get like punched but they would go up and take a guy's helmet off very gently and like like just just hand it down you know they wouldn't like take it off and fling it they would just take it and just kind of drop it and it looked fucking goofy as shit but it was because that's the the rule the league came up with so that that kind of ruined fighting in that aspect so or at least the you know the no visor fighting um nothing much you could do about it every league has it now uh i think in the east coast i know at least in the east coast in the AHL, i think every player has to have a visor um i want to say i could be wrong but the lnh even back in like the 05 06 era when it was rolling had a visor rule because you see like guys like john morasty and steve bossy and shit having a visor which i mean how much hockey was bossy playing out in the lnh uh i'll leave that up to you to decide but um i think that was a rule back then too in that league so uh, junior, I think it's always been a rule, and you'd see guys take it off out in junior. But now the W can't even do it anymore. So that answers your question on why people fight with a visor. It's just because it's, it's a rule, um, and you don't want to put your team down for another seven minutes because you already got five minutes. You're, you fucked up the lines because you're fighting. And another two on top of that, so that's seven minutes. You don't want to fuck the lines up for seven minutes. Um, so that's why you can, I guess, thank other leagues and thank the uh, NHL commissioner for that. So or even the NHLPA, because they're the ones you could probably vote and take that rule out, but I don't think they will. But anybody else got anything for me? We're going on an hour here. I think we pretty much covered it for tonight. I think it was a solid podcast. I think the, the max amount of viewers I had at one point was a whopping eight, so you guys really, really show out here and show some great support here in the Enforcer Appreciation Group. <laughs> oh, shit. If nobody has anything, um, yes, okay, so John did say, okay, LNH has always had the visor rule. That's what I thought. I was about to say, I'd, back in the day, they had that shit. So it must have been even from when it was the QMJHL or the QMJHL, the QSPHL and, you know, the dark lit Quebec leads with 34 Cotes and what have you on a team <laughs> in the early days of like the Sorel dinosaur and shit like that. But 
All right, folks. Um, oh, here we go. Here's a good one. John from Hockey Fight League. Ask which game ones do you regret moving? Uh, definitely the Danbury Trashers one. I know I made a really fucking good payday with that, but um, I'm probably never going to own a Trashers game worn again, and that sucks because that was a really good one. And I had even had it set up to, um, if that one didn't sell on eBay, it would have uh, it would it would have been traded for a Jarrett Burnett Trashers jersey. Um, so that one sucks. That one sucked to sell because I know I wouldn't be getting another one. I'll never probably get another one. Um, first pro league. Okay. So John said the first pro league bringing that in was the ECHL. Gotcha. Um, well, Darren, I fucking, I, I said you were, I, I made a post here earlier that I was going to be on, um, at 10. Fuck. When did I make that on? Probably a few hours ago now at this point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, there you go, Darren. You're a fucking product of 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 what we despise in here. People not looking in the damn group and being informed. Um, but let me try to think of another jersey I regret selling. Um, believe it or not, one of them I really regret more than I thought I would. Why? Well, I, I should say the probably the, the three I regret more than I thought I would. The Segroy Admirals. That one was a really good one because I think it's his only Admirals jersey he had. Excuse me. The Yablonski uh, Binghamton one because it was just uh, the Binghamton Senators ones back in the day were fucking awesome. And the third one, being an oddball, is the uh, Roger Maxwell Louisiana Ice Gators New Year's, like, specialty jersey. And they had, like, the weird, like, pink and blue flames on the bottom of it. And it said, like, 1999. And it was it got in one fight, and it had one little blood stain on it. Um, but I loved that jersey. I, I had to sell it, unfortunately, to move some uh, for some L&H jerseys. But that was a really good one. I regret selling that one, too, for sure. Well, that one went out to some guy in Texas, I think. He collects, like, exclusively um, WPHL or, like, SPHL jerseys or something like that. Um, I think that was the same guy that bought my San Antonio Iguanas um, fucking – who was – oh, Marty Melnichuk. Couldn't remember. No regrets over the Nyland jersey. No, because uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have developed a, a friendship with Chris Nyland, so I, I – a game worn jersey couldn't match that. Um, having known him and everything like that, and getting to take a trip up to Montreal and visit him, which I got to do again in the future. So that one I don't really necessarily regret. Um, only let's see. Only reason I knew about this is because Searson told me. Oh fuck! Well, he probably told you to crack some beers and enjoy the shit show. Watch the car crash with him. You know, misery loves company. Um, and are you boys talking hockey? Yeah, we're talking hockey. We've been talking hockey for an hour here. Damn it, Steve. Damn it, Steve. Um, but yeah, so no, I don't really regret the Nylon Jersey. I think it was, um, a good trade off and I don't even think I, I didn't even think I made a profit off it. I think I actually lost money on that one, but, um, most of the time I just try to break even on the jerseys except for the Danbury one. That one, um, <laughs> way better than I ever thought. <laughs> Tim Levesque's voice. <laughs> oh, Timmy, 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 Timmy. You know, I tried to get Tim Levesque on forever ago. He was in the group for a little bit. And it was out of nowhere. He um, he joined and he accepted my friend request. And I was trying to talk him into it, but like he said, he had peace bonds or something like that. And I don't know if he necessarily understood what peace bonds meant. Um, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. But basically, he was like, I can't talk, um, I can't talk hockey or like hockey fights. So I was like, okay, okay, Tim, no worries. Um, 
So, yeah, Tim, Tim Levesque would have been an interesting cat to get on. And as my wife commented, got engaged in the Nylon jersey. Not that Nylon jersey. The other, he's talking about the game-worn one I had. Um, but, yes, I did get engaged in a Chris Nylon jersey. I, the lovely proposal at the ice rink is how I uh, asked my wife to marry her. It was initially supposed to be at the beach. We had a nice beach house set up in North Carolina. Set up, uh, it was going to be like a nice sunrise morning. Fuck, go outside to uh, get everything going. Piss and rain, just the shittiest day. Um, <laughs> shittiest day ever. So we had to call an audible. We only, And I was in the military at the time still, so we uh, had to call an audible on it. And the next closest thing, I was like, well, we got the local Wilmington ice rink up in North Carolina. So went out there. And made it happen in the Chris Nyland jersey. <laughs> I just had to make her think nothing was wrong. So I brought the Nyland. Because that was back up initially. I was like, well, we'll just do it at the ice rink. Whatever. So uh, I had the Nyland jersey packed. And she didn't think anything of it. So that was a good time. Uh, who's the 300-pound guy he fought in the documentary? Get him instead. Oh, fuck. I forget who you're talking about. I know like, I know who you're talking about. But I forget what his name is. They call him like something to destroy. Oh, I think I could find it on YouTube. Hold on. Let me see here. I'm sure because I'm sure there's not too many Tim Levesque fights. Tim Levesque hockey. Here we go. Dominic the Giant for Forcier was his name. That's what it was. <laughs> oh fucking Tim Levesque, gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Tim Levesque was quite quite the character. At first, I thought you were talking about um, uh, what's his name, Brendan Tedstone. Butterbean, that's who I thought you were talking about. But then I remembered uh, it was a different guy. It was the fucking, the Destroyer, or the Giant, whatever the fuck it was. Oh, God. They, back in the early Quebec League when they would hire like anybody. Um, Steve said, sometimes I can't help but talk in Lovex voice. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But, um, all right, folks, I think we'll wrap it up here. We've gone on for an hour. It's been a good time bullshitting, as, as always, uh, talking hockey. So if you want to follow the podcast uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, just search Five for Fighting Podcast on any of the search bars. Uh, and it should pull up. I encourage you, if you're listening on uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, this episode will be out Tuesday. So if you're just tuning in and you don't feel like going back and listening to it right now, the episode will be out on all platforms on Tuesday. Um, I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to it if you missed the whole thing. And then also, please, if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. It'll help it grow and uh, get some uh, recognition and some more some more light shown on it. So uh, that'll help greatly if you leave a review, give it some stars, what have you. And another thing I uh, wanted to say was I plan on getting some guests on. I was supposed to have one on, uh, what's it called, Sunday, but I think I totally forgot I had a beer league game. And so my dumbass has to go bend my ankles instead of doing a podcast that day. But I'm going to end up uh, hopefully doing that next weekend. But I do have a good one lined up for Tuesday. It's a newer cat. Um, he plays uh, in the East Coast right now. So we'll see how it goes. I know I'd like to actually do it in the dark. Uh, well, one, it would be better because I have a face made for radio anyway, Darren. Um, but two, I'd like to get like one of those lights so it just shines right here. But the light, like the, I, don't, I got the fucking ceiling fan light off or whatever. Um but yeah, so I plan on getting a couple guests on here in the future, hopefully. So um, we'll see how it goes. But hopefully Tuesday, I don't think it'll be live because I think it's really early in the afternoon. I think it'll be like 4 o'clock because he's actually, like I said, he's still playing in the coast now. So it's, uh, it's right before a game, and I think it's right after practice. So just make it um, 
make sure that he can accommodate the schedule for that. So I appreciate him even taking the time to offer me an interview. So we'll see how it goes. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope to see you at the next episode. And hope everybody here has a solid night. Thanks, everybody. You got to fight for your right.